It is a big, big week out there in the world of the Atlanta Braves. You've got four games upcoming with the New York Mets. All eyes going to be on this series in the National League. And our first guest right off the jump here, uh, glad to, uh, to have him joining us. You can hear him on the Braves Radio Network. Uh, ben Ingram joins us here on 3 and Out. Ben, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, well, fellas. Appreciate you having me. I know ever since the last Mets series, things have gone pretty well for the Braves. I mean, but this is obviously the biggest series to date of the season, is it not? It absolutely is. I think any previous series the Braves and the Mets have had, no matter what the result was, good or bad, you'd still say, well, there's still X amount of meetings left. To me, this is the one. I think if you only win two games or fewer, I think the division is, is pretty much in the grasp of the Mets. It's going to be really hard to overcome that deficit as the two teams that only have three games left against each other, and that's in a month. I think this team for the Braves needs to take three or better, and anything short of that, and I think that's really going to be a big swing for the Mets. Ben, how impressive have the Mets been all year? Obviously, uh, having, what, nine and a half, ten game lead, uh, you know, to start the season, the Braves were able to window that down to like two or three, but it seems though the, the Mets saved, saved their best performances when they go head-to-head against the Braves. Yeah, they have. They've been very good against Atlanta. There's no doubt about that. I know that when we went up there in the first week of May, split a four-game series, and that was really the first taste of what was to come the rest of the season in this rivalry for the 2022 campaign. Mets came down to Atlanta, and I felt like that was a series where the Braves really needed to take advantage of being at home. They didn't. They dropped that series, and that set them up in a situation where they needed to go to New York and do something impressive. Mets really took advantage of that series. They sent a message early in that series, and that message remained the entire series as they took four out of five. Their pitching was very, very good. They had uh, some very, very good ABs. They didn't have too many one, two, three innings. I felt like they were constantly runners on base, and they just grinded the Braves down. Uh, so I feel like the Braves, now that they have a good idea of what the Mets look like at their very best, I think, I think that's the best news is that the Mets aren't going to look any better than that, and I don't think the Braves are going to look any worse. I think the Braves can go into this series and, and maybe be better prepared and certainly in a better situation given that they're playing at home. So uh, we'll see how this thing plays out. The Mets are a very, very good team, and uh, they've done something that they've not been able to do in recent years, and that's stay really strong through the last few months of the season. Typically they've faded in the last few years, but it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of fade in that ball club. Ben, maybe it's just coincidence. Uh, maybe there was some plan, but obviously the Braves starting pitchers have gone down a little rocky road in terms of health here. Uh, Kyle Wright, arm fatigue, Max Freed uh, with a concussion, but none of them pitched against the, I don't think Strider did either, pitched against the Marlins, but should all be potentially available for this Mets series uh, was some of that strategic with arm fatigue and timed out rest against a Marlins team that had been struggling to maybe have them as healthy as can be for, as, as we've talked about, an important series? Yes, it absolutely was. And, and that's nothing against the Marlins, but that's an inferior opponent. That's a team that's had a, a lot of trouble scoring runs. That Marlins team has scored three runs or fewer in now 15 consecutive games. And I think the Braves looked at it as a chance to maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit with some of their starters use some other guys, use some guys who have been at AAA, and you know that the bats will be there. I think they felt pretty good about that. Looking at it, that's a, a bit of a roll of the dice. I mean, that, that's certainly a gamble, but I think you have to take some gambles. You have to take some chances given the position that the Braves are in. They need their best opportunity versus the Mets. Um, and, and in order to do that, you've got to have your best arms available, and given who's healthy, they feel like they've lined that up. 
see Spencer Strider tonight. I can't wait to see Spencer this evening. You know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder uh, tonight versus New York because of, of what happened the last time he was out there. So he's a, he's a competitor, and I think he's excited for this. I think the rest of the team is as well. And in the meantime, the guys who can't go in this series, you hope that they're able to get back out there pretty soon and be available here in the next uh, week, week and a half. You mentioned Strider. You got guys like uh, Michael Harris. I mean, you got Grissom, these young guys. I mean, they come in and they're already looking like veterans. I know Grissom has just gotten here, obviously hit a home run. His first, uh, you know, first first game getting called up. How do, how do you explain these guys being able to jail the way they are being? Because, you know, when it comes to the majors, you expect the young guys to have young guy moments. These guys have seemingly come in and uh, really look like veterans. Yeah, that's a good point, and and I think there are a few things that go into that. Number one, I think when these guys get the call up, and I wouldn't say that this is the case for, just for, for Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom. I think this will be the case for any young prospect who has high expectations and who furthermore is a competitor. They want to get to the big leagues and show people what they've got. They, they know that they're talented. They know that they've got what it takes to be a big leaguer, and they know that this is their opportunity, and therefore they want to get out there and display that. Sometimes they press a little bit too hard, but these guys have been perfect. I think anything the Braves have, have handed to Michael Harris, he's handled perfectly. I'd say the same thing for Vaughn Grissom. And, and I think, furthermore, there's a culture there for the Braves. I think when you get the call up to this ball club, there's an expectation that not, this isn't just a vacation. You're not here just to say, hey, look at me, I'm in the big leagues. We're bringing you up here because we think you can help us win, and we need that from you. And I think that's the expectation for these young guys who come up, and they know that. And they've answered the the the, uh, the bell very well, and uh, very impressed to see what we've seen out of Vaughn Grissom and from Michael Harris. And now you just want to sit back and see what else is in store for the rest of this season and how they continue to impact the team because up until now it's been very impressive. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, joining us here. Ben, obviously Vaughn Grissom has been uh, amazing in his time, short time up in uh, in the major leagues. Uh, is he playing his way into having to play somewhere, even when uh, Ozzy comes back? Uh, does he have to be in this lineup the way he's continued to play? Well, maybe. I, I don't think that's a, a question that needs an answer immediately. We'll see what happens once Ozzy's back and ready to go. I think what the Braves have done is show you what it takes to be a team that makes it to the postseason. And what I mean by that is when you play 162 games, you're not going to be 100% healthy all the way through. You're going to lose some of your best arms. You're going to lose a bullpen piece. You're going to have a guy dinged up and, and have a hole in your lineup for a while. The question is, what do you do when those moments flare up? There are plenty of teams. You could look at teams like the Pirates or the Marlins or the Tigers or whomever you want to pick that's a, a middle-of-the-pack to back-of-the-pack team. And maybe they've had some good days, but when, when big-time names are no longer available and they lose some of their stars due to injury, they don't have the depth to bring somebody else in and continue to keep the pace. That's where teams start to fall off. I think the Marlins are a great example of that because the Marlins were a formidable foe in the first half of the season. Well, they're dinged up now. And looking at the team that we saw over the weekend, a completely different team than what we saw back in May and in June. And they just simply didn't have the reinforcements to maintain that pace uh, now that they've lost some of their names. The Braves, on the other hand, lose Ozzie Albies. That's an enormous loss. Ozzie is as much a part of the nucleus of this team as anybody in that clubhouse. I think Orlando Arcia did a wonderful job plugging in the gap and jumping in there and putting up good numbers. And then you lose Orlando Arcia with a hamstring. Here comes Vaughn Grissom. And, and what I'm getting at is, is you've allowed, uh, you've been able to answer that question of what do you do when those main stars go down and continue to plug away, and the Braves have displayed a depth that keeps them competitive. So uh, I think you look at it and say, well, we've got lots of depth. 
uh, when it comes to Ozzy being back, we'll figure out what our needs are at that point. Typically, these things take care of themselves. You could get to a situation later this season where maybe you'd say, well, Vaughn Grissom should at least be the designated hitter or Orlando Arcia once Ozzy's back. Uh, you'll get the next season and you'll look at yourself with lots of depth. Uh, Vaughn Grissom is by trade a shortstop, so he, he's not uh, strictly relegated to being a second baseman. So you've got options and you have really good depth, and that's good for the organization altogether. Ben, we knew going into this season, NL East is going to be arguably the best division in baseball this year. You look at what the Fields are doing, the Braves and the Mets, they kind of living up to it. But Snit and, uh, and obviously Alice Anthopoulos, these guys have been tied to the hip the last four years. I mean, they, they added, they've done everything, even win a World Series. How do you, how do you, I mean, we still got some, uh, you know, a, a, good, a good bit of the season left. How do you, how do you, how do you uh, grade, uh, you know, the encore? The hardest thing to do is to repeat in any, in any pro sports, but. They're the hunted this year, being the defending World Series champs. But how do you how do you uh, grade them thus far? You know, try, coming off a World Series win. Sure, I think it's a very very high grade, and, and and I think you have to take a step back and look at the big picture here. When you win the World Series, well, of course you want to win it the very next year. But we've not seen a team repeat as a World Series champion since 2000, when the Yankees won three in a row from '98 to 2000. We haven't seen a National League team do it since '75 and '76 when the Reds repeated. So it's a very difficult thing to do. And I think at the end of the day, the best that you can ask for is to be in contention, be in the hunt. Don't fall off and have a World Series hangover that takes you out of, out of competition the following year. You're in a division where you're going up against the Mets, a team spending well over $200 million on their payroll. The Philadelphia Phillies have two outstanding pitchers in, in Nola and Wheeler. They have a large payroll as well. Uh, the Marlins have some good pitchers, and the Nationals coming into the season had one of the best hitters in the league in Juan Soto. Of course, they don't no longer have him. But what I'm getting at is it's a very competitive division. It's a very competitive league. And I think when you're coming off a World Series, the best that you can ask for is just to be in the hunt. Get back into the postseason. Find a way in, and once you get into the postseason, anything can happen. And maybe you come back and win the division. Maybe you don't. But at the end of the day, find your way in. And I think the, the big picture of that is if you can have a five, six, seven, eight-year run where you are in the picture, you are a team that's in competition and you're routinely making the postseason, well, you're going to find yourself maybe winning a World Series or even two if you're that good for that long. And I think that's the, the goal. Find a way to get in and then anything can happen. And that's what it looks like this team is, is in route for. And I think a lot of that credit does go to Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snitker for once again being one of those teams in contention. And, 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 Ben, you've been around this franchise a long time. Braves fans, uh, often if you look at the critique from the fan base, it was, man, if the Braves would spend money like Team X, Team Y, what have you. And it seems like Alex Anthopoulos has done the, you know, make it work smarter, not harder philosophy of he hasn't given out ridiculous contracts that may hamstring the franchise. But as you said, you look around and you've got key pieces that uh, you as a broadcaster, you're going to be talking about for the next five, six, seven, eight, in some cases nine years uh, still to go out into the future. And it seems like this thing has been put together on pretty team-friendly, money-friendly deals uh, to the club that this thing could be really, really good for a long, long time. Yeah, that's the hope. And, and, and the way that you build an organization is you build it the way that the Braves have done it, and that's building it to last. Now, other organizations can take different routes. The Mets can, as their owner has very, very deep pockets. The Yankees can. The Dodgers can. All these teams have deeper pockets than the Braves. That doesn't mean that the Braves are a small market team. The Braves are a top-ten payroll, and they can spend some money. There's no doubt about that. 
But for the Braves to remain a constant, for the Braves to remain in contention and win 85 to 100 games every single year, you can't just rely on buying your needs. You have to develop those needs. You have to find a way to, to draft, out, to develop. And in years past, they've done a really good job of that. We're seeing that now at the big league level. If you were to grade the Braves' farm system right now, it would be a low grade simply because all those young guys have graduated to the big leagues to help the big league club win. And they'll, they'll reload, and they'll continue to do that through the draft and continue to, to build um, lots of talent down there in the farm system. But you need that. You have to have uh, that coming down the pipeline regularly because you can't buy all of your needs. And I think that the Braves have done a really good job of doing that through the years, and they've set themselves up to succeed because you look around the infield, uh, you look at their rotation, you look at and see who you have in and, and the guys that you're relying on. They're all extremely young. They're, they're anywhere from 23 to 29 years old. So you've got a core that's going to be there for a long time, hopefully. Um, not to pick on the Nationals, but I, I would look at the Nationals and say they did it the wrong way. Uh, it wasn't too long ago where they had Bryce Harper and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and Anthony Rendon. Uh, they gave contracts to maybe the wrong guys. Steven Strasburg has not been healthy. He's hardly fulfilled any uh, ounce of that contract that he was given. Uh, I know that um, when it comes to some of the other deals that they made, thinking about Patrick Corbin, he was there to help him win a World Series, but he's been a major disappointment since then. And what I'm getting at is you get buried under those contracts. They let Anthony Rendon go to another team. They traded Max Scherzer. They traded Trey Turner. They let Bryce Harper go somewhere else. So you could say that when it comes to spending money, that's not always the route. You have to spend money on the right guys and make sure that that's going to be the, the right culture for you. And here they are three years after winning the World Series with a bunch of those guys. Uh, and, oh, by the way, Juan Soto as well. And they're one of the worst teams in baseball, if not the worst team in baseball. That's a really big drop-off. And it, it can happen easily. you just got to find a way to – uh, intelligently approach building your, your roster every single year. And I think the Braves done a nice job of that. And hopefully that leads to longevity of being very competitive for a long time. Ronald Cunha Jr. seamless has, you know, has found his stride, obviously went through a, went through a slump uh, when they was uh, having all those wins in the month of June, even into the month of July. His impact, we, we know how great of a player he is being, obviously, I mean, he, what, what, you see what he's doing with his arm and, He's uh he's dynamite at the plate, but when he's at his best, how much better does he make the team as a whole? That's a really tough question, I, I, and, and I'm, I appreciate you asking it. I think that when it comes to Ronald, he's so electric. He's such a talented ball player, and he's a guy that uh, can really get the team going. We've seen him at his best. Yet at the same time, we saw the team without him for two months last year and win the World Series. And I think that I don't really think that's that's necessarily. Um, anything that you would blame Ronald for. I wouldn't say that the team plays better without him. I just think that Ronald is just another piece of the picture. I don't think he's carrying the banner for the team, but I think he's a very valuable piece of the entire picture. Uh, so to have him out there is fantastic. You need him at the top of the order. That's been outstanding. However, with what they've built and the clubhouse that they have, they've done a nice job in the games where they don't have him. Um, so it's nice to rely on him because he is so electric at the top of the order. But I think that the culture is so good inside the clubhouse that if you go without him like they did last year, you can still succeed. And I think, that's a, I think you would say that about any of the players on the team. Uh, you don't want to lose anybody, 
but I think they've done a nice job of continuing to plug along in the absence of a star player here or a star player there. Hopefully, Ronald is, is 100% for the stretch run. I know that his knee got a little bit sore in Miami. Uh, I love seeing him out there because he can electrify the team so much, and hopefully it turns into, a, into another team that, uh, that wins and goes deep in the postseason, this time with him. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network. You'll hear him coming up in just a little while. 6.05 pregame coverage. First pitch of game number one coming up just after 7 o'clock this evening. Ben, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Ben Ingram joining us here on 3 and Out Braves and Mets. It doesn't get much bigger than this in the regular season. We'll break it down more for you when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out on this Monday. So much to get to on the show. We'll hear from Chip Towers. AJC.com covers the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll get his thoughts on the dogs a couple of weeks out now from the uh, the openers in college football. Also, uh, John Shipley, Jaguar Report, will join us coming up in hour number two. We'll look back at the, uh, the Jags' first preseason game uh, this past Friday. And Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, will join us coming up in about... 10 minutes or so here on the program. We'll talk about his program. First year head coach there at uh, Savannah State. He will join us. Also look at the Atlanta Falcons, their preseason debut, and what it kind of uh, left us with then uh, after a win over the Lions. So we'll get to that. But Braves and Mets, we just talked to Ben Ingram. It's put up or shut up time uh, if you're Atlanta and want to win this division. Ben, you're, you're five and a half games out. You get four games head-to-head. Right now, with the uh, Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta Braves, with the uh, with the New York Mets, to do something about it, and it starts tonight. Kevin, I mean, it really has it really doesn't matter what the Braves have done, you know, uh, this season. It seemed like the Mets always kind of like you know uh, take the wind out they sail. I mean, this happened every time uh, they played them this year. I mean, obviously the first time Braves cut that lead down to two, and the Mets was like, it don't matter what they do if they don't <laughs> yeah. play us, it's what they do when they play us, but. If you are the Braves, we already knew that NL East was going to be tough. You know, the Mets and, you know, the Grom and Scherzer and company. You know, you got to go out there and, uh, you know, face the best. doesn't mean that the Braves ain't one of the best teams in the bigs. It's just that the Mets understand, hey, you guys are our barometer, even though you got, you know, even though, uh, you know, you guys are trying to catch us. So, like you say, Kevin, it really, it really doesn't matter until, you know, what you do with these guys and these pesky Mets. But the Mets have brought out the best or worse, if you could say, when it comes to yeah. the Braves. And they got to go out there. So, you know, what Grissom and, and company, you know, Strider gets the start. You got Grissom. You got Strider. You got you got Michael Harris. So you got three key contributors who are young guys, rookies, uh, who, go, who get to be open key contributors to start tonight. But you know, Kevin, you want, you want them to have a good opening game because it's right. almost like that's, that's the momentum for the series. Hopefully they start out with a dub. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's amazing that the three youngest guys could have the biggest impact on how this unfolds here, right? I mean, I Two guys that are not or might be right at 21 uh, that could come in and have the biggest impact on this potential series. But uh, you're right. This National League East has been no joke. And if the Braves want to win the East, I think you got to show something uh, right here, a little pushback uh, in, in the ATL. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I asked Ben uh, Inger about this. Obviously, Max Reed, concussion. Uh, sounds like he'll be back. But a couple of the other ones, Spencer Strider did not pitch against the Marlins. Kyle Wright, hey, my arm's a little tired. Did not pitch against the uh, did not pitch against the Marlins. I don't even know Charlie Morton did not pitch against the Marlins. So all these guys who you worried about the length of the season, been all that mysterious not mysteriously, but they didn't pitch against the Marlins. Braves felt good about it, went in and swept it anyway. And now you have some guys, hopefully on much needed rest, 
extra rest uh, to try to get up for the biggest series uh, of the season. The guy like Spencer Strider, who's you know b- going to blow out the water the most innings uh, he's ever pitched in a single season by a wide margin. Probably good to get him some days. Kyle Wright's having a, a tremendous year uh, for him. He had a little arm fatigue. Like to get him a few extra days. They did that in preparation for the biggest series uh, of the year. And I, you could say, oh, some guys, I think the Braves played that the way uh, they needed to, Ben. Other sports, uh, basketball. Yeah. Hey, you rest guys. If you know you got a big game late, hey, we'll rest guys to try to save their legs. Football, it's harder to do because you mm-hmm. have a limited roster. But I thought smart of Snit and the Braves to say, look, Marlins are struggling. They don't score a lot of runs. We have guys we're confident in. We are scoring runs as an offense right now. We can probably get by and let these guys get some much-needed rest, be fully rested, at least as fully rested as you're going to be at this time of year, going into a huge series at home with the Mets. That is the luxury of being on a good team. I mean, you can you can find you, – you look at the tendencies of the of a bad team and say, hey, if we ain't good enough to be the bad team, but, you know, not our best players, at least, at least at the plate, you know, we're going to have to question who we are, you know, uh, as a ball club. Thank God it did work out but Kevin, but, yeah. And all those guys get to come back playing motivated baseball. And, like, look, man, this is the Mets. So, you're probably going to be going – you know, you're probably going to have a, an incredible starter, you know, that you're going to be pitching against that day. But go out there and handle your minutes. You mentioned Kyle Wright has been, uh, you know, pitching out of his mind. But I just hope that's a good thing, you know, because, I mean, time off of baseball is much needed, especially with pitchers. Any chance they can get a, I mean, a couple of days, actually days off on this arm, I'll take it because, I mean, you know, throwing 90-something miles an hour, you know, I mean, you know, 70, 80 times a, a, a game <laughs> can wear on a person. But uh, you hope that just that's good momentum for the Braves. They can carry that over because they're going to need at least three out of four, you know, but just to keep pace with the with the, uh, with the Messi was already five and a half games up. Yeah, I – I think this is a huge series. I'm glad the Braves kind of did what they uh, they did. And, again, I'm excited to see the young guys who, as Ben, you all say, hey, a little wet behind the ears, don't yes. know any better. Yes. Go out there and play against the uh, the New York Mets, and uh, we'll see if the Braves fans can rally behind them and bring them across the finish line in this series. Again, even if you sweep, you're not going to overtake the Mets in the division, but you can make them think about it, uh, which I think uh, we, we talked about it earlier uh, in the season. We said, look. It's not that you're going to come back. When they were 10 and a half out, it was like, okay, it's, it's not about overtaking the Mets because even we were like, okay, you just want to try to get it respectable and make them think about it. Uh, maybe they trip up some when the pressure is on. And I think that's what this series is about. You're not going to win the division this weekend. You could lose it or at least not give yourself a chance to win it. But you want to stay close enough to make the Mets think about it. And we've seen that at times. When it's close, when it's late, and it becomes that you got to win games, Certain teams handle it well, and certain teams don't. I'm not saying this Mets team is one that won't, but in the past they have been that team. Uh, so I think the, the goal of this, to me, is to try to inch a little bit closer uh, to the Mets and make them think about it a little bit, about you being right there behind them and step their game up uh, even more, which has been really good, as we said last week. The top six records in all of baseball, three of them are teams in the National League East. Top three records in all of baseball. Not just the National League, all of baseball come from the same division. Uh, you got to show up night in and night out if you want it here in 2022. Uh, there's no question about that. We've got much more to get to here on 3 and Out. We're going to switch gears, talk a little college football. It is rapidly coming. Yep. Less than 15 uh, days. Actually, less than, I think, less than, what, a week from Saturday. We're, at, we're coming up on a week from Saturday. We'll have that week zero. But we are coming up on about 15 days or so until the start of the college football season in mass will be upon us. And uh, one of those teams, Savannah State, We'll talk with Aaron Kelton, first-year head coach 
of the Savannah State Tigers when we come back. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Also, uh, love to get us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can watch the show on any of those platforms, ESPN Coastal on YouTube. Subscribe, and you can follow the show along there as well. It is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. We were efforting Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, to join us here on the program. But, Ben, the AP poll is out. I know everybody was just waiting with bated breath on the AP poll uh, to come out. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, (laughs) Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Utah, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Baylor in a poll that probably took most folks in the AP all of about five minutes to fill out and send in. <laughs> yeah, you, you listen, you just got a job working with AP poll. You was like, hey, man, this is what we want you to do. We want you to go home, do a thorough evaluation of all the teams. <laughs> yeah. We want you to give you the top. No, Kevin, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, surprise, surprise, you know, Alabama's number one. Ohio State's number two. Georgia's number three. Clemson's number four. Notre Dame's five. Texas A&M's six. Utah's seven. You know, that, that's, that's based off what they did last year as well as what they bring back this year. Michigan. You know, uh, Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma, Baylor. Um, this has a lot to do with recruiting. Who's not in that top ten is Texas A&M. People say, well, wait a minute. Well, just because they got the number one recruiting class doesn't mean they got the number one team. But Texas A&M I, is in there. They're number six. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm tripping. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about them Texas boys. But I, th- I, think, I think what happens is, Kevin, uh, you know, Alabama, uh, rebuilding year, they go to the national championship, win the ACC championship, and they have the Heisman Trophy winner and the number one uh, uh, defensive player coming back. Um, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ohio State is going to be good. I mean, what well, CJ Stroud and those guys are going to do on offense. Georgia's Georgia. You know, even if they're replacing 15 guys or five of those guys coming off uh, off of that defense. Notre Dame, you know, Marcus Freeman, first year uh, replacing uh, Brian Kelly. We can see, you know, see what type of uh, team he's going to have. But you know, they're going to have a really, really good team. Texas A&M, can they build on the momentum uh, in, in recruiting? Utah, defending Pac-12 uh, champions, get my Gators the first game of the year. Michigan, defending. You know, the defending, wow, the defending, uh, you know, Big Ten champions, which you ain't, you, you're not going to hear that a lot. And I know Ohio State, think about it, Ohio State lost the Big Ten, you know, and they're ranked number two. Yeah, Michigan number won two. it, and they're ranked number eight. But, uh, you know, I rounded out, you know, Oklahoma, you know, Coach Vernon, we're going to see what he's made, made up. But you know they're going to have good talent there. Like Oklahoma, it's not like they're not going to have good talent there and following that out uh, with Baylor. Um Basically, this is what this says. If you're not in the preseason AP top ten poll, the likelihood of you being a you know now you got certain teams that could probably you know make some noise if LSU run the table do something crazy you know who knows but it it ain't it ain't many teams with Oklahoma I mean I'm sorry Texas maybe LSU uh, if a, if a Tennessee do something do the unthinkable and beat a Georgia and who knows what they do the rest of the season but if your if your name is a Tennessee if your name is a LSU if your name is a Texas Maybe even an SC, USC, depending on what they do this year, you're not gonna, you're not going to the college football playoff. This right here is to affirm to you, you can work extremely hard in the summer, extremely hard in the in the, in the, in the spring, in the fall. If you ain't here now and you're not one of those three teams I just named, you're not getting there. And I and I know people like, well, Ben, that's not right. Well, okay, um, can you beat Alabama? No. Okay. Can you beat Ohio State? No. Can you beat Georgia? No. And guess what? Clemson won 10 games last year, and people are calling them bums. Like, all I'm saying is, <laughs> all I'm saying is uh, the defending ACC champion ain't even in the top 10 preseason. 
The defending uh, Big Ten champion ain't in the top five. The defending Pac-12 champion ain't in the top five. Alabama won the SEC, Ohio State. They didn't win the Big Ten. Georgia won the national championship. Clemson went to a New Year's Six Bowl, and Notre Dame is replacing his coach, and that is your top five. Kevin, if we look back to 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018, this looked very similar. Maybe yeah. Clemson was ranked number two and Georgia <laughs> was ranked number four. Who? Ohio State was ranked number one, but hey, the rich keep getting richer. Well, this mean, has I, a lot I just to look at, I'm not saying this isn't how how it's going to end up. And, and BJ and I have had discussions about this. Like when people do their polls, like are you are you putting a poll out? Like if I'm an AP Associated Press member, am I putting a poll out based on where I think it's going to end up, or where I think these teams are right this minute? Right. Uh, right. I mean, cause, cause yeah. again, I, I, there, there's two different ways you can look at it, and I think some people say, "Well, I'm going to put them out." Where I think they are right now, or where I think, you know, they could end up. Like if the season ended today before it even started, where would these teams be? And I think to me, uh, I always look at it as the the poll should be. Fl- I, well, first off, I don't see how we can put out a poll until teams have played. Yes. Like I, I don't again, know, I, I'm I'm with, I'm with everybody who says rating, ratings. Right. Well, I understand because you want to say we have number. Oh yeah, we got we got a top we got ten matchup. We got number three Georgia against yeah. number eleven uh, Oregon. Oregon's number eleven, by the way. Um, you want to be able to, to, to hype that up as much as possible. But I agree with people who say, hey, we shouldn't have uh, rankings until, you know, like six, seven, eight weeks into the season. I understand that as well. But I would also be okay if we didn't have rankings, if, if we have to have them. Like, let's like, let's at least not do them until a game has been played. Uh, because, again, you put Wake Forest uh, in this poll. Sam Hartman it just went out. Yeah. We don't know when he's going to be back. Yeah. This is a guy that was good enough to put Wake in the ACC championship game. Uh, they're up there in the, I think, in the teens somewhere. What are they going to look like without him? Right? Maybe, maybe they don't need to be that high. What if we see Alabama early? And, like, oh, they're even better than we thought. Or we see Utah against Florida, and we say, man, they beat Florida. We don't know how good Florida is. They didn't really play well. Utah maybe didn't play very well, but they beat Florida by about three on the road. Are they still a top 10 team? Florida's not ranked presently. All right. But if there is no rankings, are we just basing our own, uh, you know, if we wait till at least they've played a game, do we at least say, well, I've seen them play. I've seen something, a tangible product mm-hmm. be put out on the field that I can at least evaluate and say, I think this team is very good. And maybe you have preconceived biases. I just think, yep. let's not put them down on paper or on, on electronic print, uh, as, <laughs> as it, the, the case may be here in 2022, until we actually have something to do. Like, Look, is Georgia going to be good? Yes. Yep. But you know what? If they come out and beat Oregon by 25, maybe I think they're number one. Yeah. Right? I mean, so uh, as whereas right now, if we go off this, if Georgia wins, Ohio State wins, and Bama wins, it probably stay in the same. Uh, so I, I, I look at it and say, let's, let's at least let teams put something down on paper first that we can evaluate uh, preseason polls. I hate them. Uh, because whoa, a lot whoa. of time, because it's kind of been proven. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. are not in the top 25 mm-hmm. right now, you are going to have a hard time. Extremely hard time. Getting your way in there. People say, oh, oh, that's not the case. How many teams have we seen outside the top 25? They get up to about 10 or 9, and they kind of get stuck because the teams ahead of them keep winning. And you're saying, well, that's still no. I, if you had no preconceived notion of where we think they should be ranked, other than let's just evaluate them week to week on their play, I, I think some of these polls will look uh, largely different. Now, at the end of the day, I think college football has a top-heavy problem, and I think the final – Four or five is probably going to look very similar to what's on paper uh, right now. 
Maybe one exception that we're not talking about right now. Maybe Oklahoma can slide in there and take and take one of those spots. But by and large, man, I don't know how much movement at the end of the day we might see uh, in this top four or five. Uh, yeah, they're not all going undefeated. I get it. But I think all these teams that are starting in the top five probably going to finish in the top ten at worst. So I wish we didn't have to do it. But as you said, the, the hype train is what gets everybody excited for, for college football, and it makes these early season – uh, neutral site matchups, all the rage. We can say, hey, we got number three against number 11. Well, neither one of them has played a game yet. Yep. So, I mean, maybe Dan Lanning isn't going to be a great fit in Oregon. Number three versus number 11. What if Oregon ends up seven and five? What if Georgia beats them by 20 points? Should they have never, they should have never been number. And we see, we see examples of that uh, all the time. And it just drives me nuts, Ben. I know it can't get rid of them, but I would say, could we at least hold off until. My compromise is let's hold off on polls until we've played a game. I'd rather it be five, six weeks so we get a better eval. But if we got to have them, let's wait till at least a game has been played. No, no, Kevin, because if we do that, <laughs> super conferences don't matter, right? Like, you, you just gave the blueprint to college football being equal. What? You mean to tell me we just take polls? Yeah. Like, in a sense, no, no, think about it. We – we do we have preconceived notions? Absolutely, Everybody absolutely, does, yeah. absolutely. Do are, are we being shaped in our thinking every year with it? Absolutely. It's it's like this. If Alabama was ranked number eleven, people are like, what's going on? Exactly, because you just expect they're not going to be that. Yeah, unless it's like you know year I don't know twenty sixty, and Nick Saban is no longer the head coach anymore. But I I, I do I do think that we have to create storylines before they even play a game through. Oh, that's. Oh, number one just lost. Did they really? First game of the year. Alabama loses the game, you know, every other year. Did that affect, did that affect them in the end? No. That helps the team that beat them. That boosts their ratings. Because it's like this. Hey, I mean, the year that Clemson lost the game, Kelly Bryant was out the second half. They got, they got the benefit of the doubt because the starter was out. They still made it to the college football play. So all I'm saying is, yes, Kevin, these narratives have already been shaped. We, we can get mad at it, but Clemson is still being ranked like they won the Natty. Oh, they was in the college. They're still being ranked the same way because they come, they bring it back DJU. Now, he ain't finna make no national commercials like last year, but you know that Clemson's going to big-time recruiting, Ohio State, so on and so forth. Why do we got to make it? If, if the best team's going to rise to the top, no, nah, Ben, because what if the best teams don't, aren't the best team? Oh, so you're telling me that ranking gives people – yeah, if, if you got a ranking next to you and you lose, that means that the team you played just had a better day. You had a real bad day. Is it? So college football, a.k.a., will never, ever be equal because the powers that be are already getting bigger through super conferences, through name recognition, through wins, right, and through prestige. And that's, that's just how it's going to be. But I don't care who you are. If you think you're going to beat Alabama in 2022, good luck with that. And that's everybody on the schedule. I'm just saying. I, they, them boys, if last year was a rebuild and, and this year is intentional, oh, hell. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, where do they do that at? And, yeah, we had a rebuild. I mean, yeah, we ended up getting the Heisman and, you know, winning the SEC and going to the national. But that went on the schedule. What? Yeah. yeah. No. So, I, what, you, so you could have won it all in a rebuild? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's crazy. But, again, they've got a, a wealth of just unfair, ridiculous talent there in – in uh, Tuscaloosa, Columbus, Georgia, uh, and or Athens, Georgia, and, and Clemson, South Carolina. It's unbelievable uh, the amount of talent all those schools have stocked up. we got more to come. Here it is, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you back. Uh, John Shipley, Jaguar Report, going to join us in the second hour. He'll join us coming up in about 25 minutes or so from now. Also, Chip Towers, AJC.com next hour will join us as we uh, count you down towards Braves and Mets first of four games in four days with the Mets' huge series uh, upcoming. We'll talk some Falcons football on the show, Ben, as they go through preseason game number one. For what it's worth, they are one and oh. For what for anybody that cares for anybody that cares about that, but uh, obviously we got a lot to get to with uh, with the, with the Falcons here in in this one. But defensively, we talked about it last week. Dean Pease came up and said, "Hey, why can't this Falcons team? Why can't we be a top half defense? Why can't we be elite? I've coached elite defenses everywhere I've been. We've got the talent. We can do it." First drive of the preseason, one v ones, ten plays, touchdown. Hot knife, slice butter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, Kevin. We can I mean, try to, I know it's preseason. I, it, but it, I mean, it is, but the thing is, right? So, so Kevin, so you just asked the question of what are we watching in the preseason? We are watching certain players and units, right? I'm, I'm watching Mariota and you know and Desmond Ritter to see like are they calling the same plays? I'm watching, you know, how to receive like Drake London and how does he play individually and collectively? And as a defense, we just are watching collectively. And that first drive, I'm like, ah, ah, touchdown. Really, you know, you start saying to yourself, and I get it, it's a sample size, but unfortunately for certain groups, every time they out there, it's an audition. You, you're trying to put your best foot forward because, listen, you got your D coordinator coming out going crazy, Lorenzo Carter, you know, you got, I'm, I'm going on my Twitter feed question, over under six sacks, huh? it better be well over six. Right. Right, so, but, Kevin, we know this is that – how certain teams, you get the benefit of the doubt of being a part of the organization and their great legacy. Well, if you play defense for Atlanta, specifically the defensive line, there is no great legacy. If, if we're always talking about John Abraham. John Abraham, yes. John Abraham John Abraham was in the NFL before me, man. I watched John Abraham. Remember I told you about those uh, winner certificates? I went to the game when he was at defensive end playing against Clemson. I remember when John Abraham was in college. That's how long it's been. So we'll see, Kevin. But yeah, you, if you're looking at that first drive, nothing to ride home about. You like a, a whole <laughs> bunch of, Ugh. you know. But uh, hey, it is one preseason game, and you know they're trying, they're trying, they're trying to knock out the rust. Out. I understand that, and again, I've tried not to read too much in there. But again, you're trying to sell everybody on the hope that hey, our defense will be better. And I don't care about all the stuff you gave up late. I mean that uh, again. It's if we're going to be consistent, let's be consistent and say, hey, look, the stuff that happened in the second half when. A lot of guys are sitting, not taking snaps. It's fine. But you also look at it and say, hey, when it was 1v1s, or at least the best you got uh, going out there, Detroit went right down the field on you. And this is a Detroit that was picking two uh, in the draft. Right? This is, this is a Detroit team that's also not very good. And they went right down the field opening drive on your defense. And as you, you said, Ben, a couple of plays uh, when you saw guys in that defense – not very well contested on certain throws. Not very well, uh, you know, where they need to lined up correctly, where they need yeah. to be on certain plays. Yeah. And those are things that obviously you have time to get corrected, but in the short term, don't give you a lot of signs that, hey, Dean Pease, we agree this team could be vastly improved on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Kevin, I mean, the, the, the Atlanta Falcons defense know they're going to be under a different level of scrutiny because people are expecting them to not do anything. You know, it's like no matter who it is, oh, we just expect them to be. We just we, want to see something. Yeah, exactly. I, look, 
I saw a play to where people like, oh, yeah, man, I mean, A.J. Terrell locking these guys up. Well, he locked guys up in 2021. I ain't, it ain't A.J. Terrell. Well, I want to hear Carter on the sack, <laughs> right? I want to hear Ebigite on the pressure, right? I mean, right, wrong, Marlon Davidson on the pressure, like it's got to be the it's got to be the the front four helps to help the back three and the front seven helps helps the secondary. There's a reason why they call them the secondary. They're not primary. The primary is the defensive line. And if the defense, Kevin, every time we watch these quarterbacks, right? Every time they make nice throws, don't it look like they're doing seven on seven? Just saying. Good to have you back. Hour two, Kevin and Ben. Busy hour here, John Shipley. Jaguar Report going to join us uh, in about 20 minutes. We'll talk about the Jags' loss to the Browns and where they go moving forward. Also, Chip Towers, AJC.com, covers the Georgia Bulldogs. He will join us, Georgia, third in the preseason poll. We'll get the very latest from Dogs Camp uh, with Chip. I believe the Dogs had a scrimmage over the weekend. We'll get the very latest out of that uh, coming up in about 30 minutes with Chip Towers, AJC.com. So a lot to get to here in our number two. But first, Ben, let's take three here on three and out. All right, take one. Falcons preseason game. Uh, they beat Detroit. Who impressed you more, Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter? Obviously, Desmond Ritter played a little bit more or a lot more than Marcus Mariota. But who impressed you more? I'm always going to, I mean, I was very impressed with both, but I, I, I would have to go Desmond Ritter. Uh, Kevin, it's always going to be, you know, I don't want rookies to look like rookies. And most of the time, you turn on the preseason game, the rookies are looking like rookies. One, because they're out there with, with other rookies and guys that are, you know, fringe guys, you know, free agent guys trying to make the, uh, trying to make the team. But Desmond Ritter, outside of the fact that he, I mean, he, he uses legs a lot. We both talked about a slide that, you know, he might might want to call Ron Lacuna and Michael Harris and say, hey, man, when you slide, you got to slide feet first. I didn't really like the slide, but very, very impressed with him. I mean, you, you take the team, team down the field, uh, improvise. Uh, when he got outside the pocket, when he, when he got flushed to the right, I mean, most people thought he was going to tuck it and run it to, to have enough heads up to make the throw. And obviously it could have been a, a defensive pass interference for the receiver to come back and make, make that catch. It builds confidence. And – I don't want I don't want it to be such a huge gap between the starter and the backup. I expect it to be I expect it to be a difference, but I don't want it to be such a big difference to the point where you go. I want to feel good that if Marcus Mariota does indeed go out, Desmond Ritter can 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 handle it. And I know it's one game. I don't want to get too high or too low, but I think when you think about the fact that what Desmond Ritter was able to do in college, he kind of showed you that in the game. I mean, he went to Cincinnati. He didn't go to a quote, you know. Football school, if we want to call it that these days, John Calipari. I think that he showed that okay, win the third round. I understand they moved Felipe Franks, you know, uh, <clears throat> to the third to the third guy. So paved the way for me to be the second guy. But I was very very impressed with him, Kevin. I I think from a guy who's been in the National Football League, who, who struggled playing a position. Uh, that I don't have the full nuance of the offense. I don't have to worry about the protection. I don't have to worry about my first, second, and third read. This guy handled it really, really well. And like I said, he's going to have to be a guy that he's going to – he's athletic to use his legs, but got a big arm, made some nice throws. We talked about – I think both quarterbacks have more rushing yards than the, than the freaking running backs combined. But uh, I was I was more impressed with Desmond Ritter. I expect Marcus Mariota to play like a savvy vet. I mean, he's throwing the Kyle Pitts. He's throwing, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, Drake London, which I hope his knee is okay. I don't think Brian Edwards played and Cordell Patterson and all the Tate, you know, all the Tate and company. But I was still very, very impressed with uh, Desmond Ritter. I think for one game, at least, Kevin, he looked the part. Now, we'll see if that's the case the next two games. But for one game, he definitely was very, very impressed with him. Yeah, I would say uh, Marcus Mariota, to me, didn't play a whole lot, but went down, got a touchdown. 
two for two, had a rush, which, again, I think post quarterback showed they can do what Matt Ryan could not do, which is yes. outside the pocket yes. and go uh, go scramble, uh, which is okay. I mean, we're going to miss Matt Ryan. It looks weird with Matt Ryan out there in a, in a Colts uniform. It does. I would say Marcus Mariota impressed me because everybody is waiting for Marcus Mariota to fail, I think. Right? I mean, I, I, in my estimation, I think everybody's looking at Marcus Mariota and saying, we're waiting for him to fail, and we can just move on and put Desmond Ritter out there. And I thought he came out and handled it nicely uh, there out of the gate. All right, moving along, Ben, take two. Big series with the Mets coming up for the Braves. Can Atlanta keep up the hot play with so many young players playing in key roles, i.e., uh, Michael Harris, uh, Grissom, Strider, all of them, I think 21 uh, years of age, very young, and, and rookies playing prominent roles on this team. Can they keep up their hot play, or are we expecting a, a rookie wall at some point? I, I think they can, Kevin, and because, because the fact of the matter is this. Outside of the fact that we know they're, you know, this is their first year in the bigs, outside, outside of the fact that we know that, you know, Grissom has only been a, what, you know, a week or so now, they don't play like it. They they seem they seem to play well during you know given the situation, and the the one thing that all three of them possess, and I think that I, and the reason why I don't see him hitting the wall, Strider knew that he was going to pitch more, have more you know listen I'm going to pitch more than I ever knew. It, you guys started talking about it. Like I can't help that you know Strasburg is in this freaking division, and y'all think that everybody got they be on a pitch count. No, yeah. I want to pitch, right? And Kevin, let's face it. I mean I'm I. On most of the games that I did pitch that we didn't win, it wasn't because I didn't have a stellar performance. It's the guys that came in behind me. Now, Grissom and freaking Michael Harris, I mean, those guys are beneficial because they can do it both with their bat and their glove. I mean, do you want to try to run on uh, Michael Harris these days? Because he going to throw you out. He like, go ahead. Grissom, I mean, I already got two homers. Home with his first time. Uh, you know, he first got called up. I think because they don't have to, quote, be the guys every night. Hey, go out there and play your game. You know, go out there. The fact that Grissom is playing out of position, by the way, I mean, he's a shortstop playing. The kid understand they're 21 years old, man. Man, when I was 21 years old, yes, I was in the National Football League. I ain't look like that at all. <laughs> not, not even in the least. I think, Kevin, it says a lot about the ball club they're on, uh, uh, you know, uh, the culture that they're in. And they go, hey, man, whatever I give y'all, it's beneficial. As long as, listen. As long as I'm not the weak link, whatever I give you is a plus. As long as I'm not the weak link. So, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to hit it, Kevin. And, you know, I don't think they'll hit a rookie wall more than they'll have rookie moments. They'll have some moments. I don't think they'll hit a rookie wall. I mean, you get too many You get too many opportunities that, you know, uh, with your bat. I mean, you know, at the plate you get – I mean, how many opportunities you're going to get in the field depending on what happens? You know, if you Grissom, hey, man, don't mess up the double play. You know, if you Michael Harris, hey, if somebody hit it to you, you, you know, his, his – man – I mean, his what? His catch radius, if you want to call it that, is ridiculous. I mean, think about Ron Lacuna. Ron out there like, I don't know, do I chase this thing or not? Because this kid going to run it down. So I don't think they're going to hit the rookie wall. I think that, Kevin, they're, 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 they're benefiting from the same thing Austin Riley did. They're benefiting from, you know, the same thing, you know, Ian Anderson did. I'm coming to a ball club to where, dude, this ball club, not only is it culture-driven, it's fun. They seem to be having fun out sure. there. Michael Harris showing off the swag after the game. I don't know what the whole meow thing is. Like he kept saying, I think he's just doing it on purpose. That was, <laughs> I mean, like he's like, hey, let me see oh, if I can mess with him a little bit. And and, I th- and to me, th- that's what it is. It's like, you know, most guys when they come into when they come into any professional league, it's all about, hey man, the veterans gonna show you the way. I get it, okay. But dude, I am twenty one, 
in the freaking bigs. I can't have some fun. <laughs> it ain't as long as they play on the on the on the you know out there on the diamond, man. Doesn't. But I, I you know they can have a little fun with the uh, you know with the post game press conference. But I don't. And but no, 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 but I don't think, think. I was I was, was kind of laughing at it because I saw somebody t- posted it uh, obviously over the weekend. I was like, how many meows are in this post game press? I was like, <laughs> is he just like talk? Did he go? Uh, was it uh, Coach Bennett at uh, at Coach? Yeah, no, no, we don't no. need no meows. Well, he, well, he, well, he didn't do it. Meow. Uh, <laughs> now if he would have, <laughs> now if he would have, but, but but okay, but Kevin, even before you get to take three, you 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 are a traditional you know baseball sure. fan, but but to every rule in a sense there is there is an exception, and I think because Ronald Acuna kind of started it, and it ain't everybody, man. I mean, Matt Olson don't do that stuff. You know, Austin Riley don't do I'd this stuff. I'd be kind of creeped out if Matt Olson says, like, no. <laughs> 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 so, I, so I, I do think, because at the end of the day, man, you have, if you're enjoying what you're doing, man, I mean, it don't feel, it don't feel like work. I mean, I got, think about it. I saw you got, you got three, what, 21, 22-year-olds, and you got, you know, 24, 25-year-olds. If you're 28, 29 on the Braves, I mean, you old. With all these young, all these, quote, youngins yep. running around, but. I think that you don't want to take away a person's personality, what makes them them, and it, it seems to be working. And uh, shout out to uh, Michael Harris. Saw you with the brim, you know, the fedora kind of, you know, uh, no, not the fedora, but you know, uh, the, you had the Smokey the Bear kind of hat on, looking smooth out there. <laughs> and meow it up, my brother. Whatever you want to do, if, if it's gonna help you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, the the I want to see if that's something that like I wonder if the rest <laughs> of the Braves like just start, just just to mess with everybody's like, yeah, I, I thought I had a uh, you know really good game out there. Meow, and then just uh, meow. we're gonna keep. Getting... <laughs> 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 we're just gonna figure out you know go from there. But uh, all right, moving along, Ben. Uh, take three today is National Relaxation Day. Oh God! All right. So what what is the ultimate way in your estimation to relax, Kevin? This this is the this is the best way to relax. Okay. In the South, right? Everybody got new couches, but you got an old couch, right? right? You know, you you done, you done broke this bad boy in for years. <laughs> but you have company at your house, so you know the, the you know your better half says, "Get that couch out of here." All right. So you got either a man cave or you got like a nice little you know uh, you know a little a little patio. It's it's you know you got a little you know you got a little bougie. You know got your little <laughs> your little southern siding, so it's closed in. You got you you got your two fans blowing at you. Right, Kevin, and it's 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 six thirty seven o'clock. So the sun it ain't as hot, and you on this couch, and and you got it to where if you just stick your hand up, there goes something to drink right there. It's just right there, but it's just like no TV on, no kids messing with you, and you just looking up at the ceiling. You ain't thinking about anything, and you in heaven. This how you know someone come ask you. You want something to eat? No, I'm good. I'm Want something to drink? No, I'm straight. Because you realize, Kevin, in that moment, you don't get this anymore. When you older, I just want to relax. Like, people say, what do you want to do tomorrow? Nothing. <laughs> like, I don't want to do anything. Why? Because I always have something to do. It's the best thing is when I have nothing to do. Hey, man, where he at? Man, he back there on that couch. No, no, that's what I'm saying. He back there on that little raggedy couch. No, it ain't raggedy. It's raggedy to you. This. No man wants to throw out that old, that old, that old recliner, or that old couch, because it's like, oh my God, it's like, it's, it fits it's like, you perfectly. it I is. Mean, it's just, it, just it, it's the, it's, it's the peel off couch. If you got that old leather and you get a, <laughs> when you, when you get off of it, 
That, that to me that's rela- that, that's relaxing because Kevin That's how you know you've been sleeping good. And no one understands it but you. To the point where now when you wake up it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and you think you think y'all just let me sleep out there for real? You you told us not to bother you. All right, cool. You wake up in the middle of the night and then maybe you eat you some leftovers and go back to sleep. But I just I to me or or if you under the shade and you know, you and the, and the mosquitoes, because if you got sand that's going in the house, them, them things, they're created from the devil there. They but, are. But if you got some mosquitoes that you can handle under that shade tree, sweet tea, lemonade, hey, man. There you go. That, that keep, keep it simple. I, hey, I agree with you, man. I My my relaxation, I go to the beach, find some shade at the beach. I don't care if you got a tent, umbrella, whatever. I, I get burnt real easily, so I don't care about being out in the sun and getting tan because I, I always told you, I, I will get tan if I want to, right? Like. It'll, it won't take me very long, and I will, I will get there, or either that or I'll be burnt. I'm going to be fire engine red, or I will try to take. So, so, I, get up, so I, get under the, I get under the shade, you know, dig your toes in the sand, kick back in a chair, throw, leave the phone in the car, and just listen. Kids go play down somewhere else, and you just listen to the waves roll, close your eyes, and that's relaxing to me. It's also National uh, Lemon Meringue Pie Day today, so if I have a slice of that, that would be great. Oh, yeah, well. yeah. You, that's you like know, my first. Can, can I somebody wake Kevin up? Here you go. Thank you. Yes. Can I get a fork? Now go Thank away you. and I'll be totally <laughs> go, relaxed. Go away. That's, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> like, that's my, I will say this. That's like my favorite uh, thing ever. Like, mom, if you're listening, love the lemon meringue pie. Don't get to eat it as often as I was like, but that is my favorite uh, out there as well. So that will be totally relaxing. And everybody's relaxation, I think, as you get older, are the kids are at some distance removed. I love my children, but if I want to relax, yeah, I yeah. need them at some distance. I need y'all for, to for, go. Hey, I need y'all to just go hang over there for a minute and let me enjoy the sound of the waves crashing or, or whatever it is, and I'll, I'll holler at you in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is definitely something that is, usually I found, Ben, you are so true. As you get older, most of the things that relax you, like it used to be like, hey, how do you like to relax? You know, I like to go to the park. We go fishing, go take it a hike. When you get older, I would say older, like you have kids that are, you know, getting up there in the teenage mm-hmm, years and mm-hmm, older. Mm-hmm. Most of your relaxation – Things involve closing your eyeballs. Yep. Hey, I want to sit and get a massage. Close your eyeballs, fall asleep. I want to as, 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 as my dad. As my dad would say, I want to do opposite of what a toddler does. What toddlers <laughs> don't want to take naps. <laughs> now think about this. When you're a toddler, hey man, hey, you getting sleepy? You know, close the, 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 great, the greatest, the greatest thing I've ever seen on social media. There was a guy. He's laying there asleep, and his three kids are, are sitting there like painting. And when his wife comes in, she's like, "What are you doing?" He's like. Oh, I want I wanted them to paint a picture of me. <laughs> I want to see if they could paint a picture of me sleep. What? <laughs> so he's, he's sitting there sleeping like this. He like, cause he said, cause you know, most paintings are hard to do when you move. So I'm like, Daddy's not gonna move. But if Daddy does move, we gotta start over. <laughs> hey, that's brilliant. The kids sitting intently, three kids, hey, cause hey man, like I say, naps, hashtag naps, nap, naps are the greatest. I don't get a chance to do them as much, if ever. Hashtag bring back naps. So National Relaxation Day, go get some uh, relaxation in before the Braves play the Mets because if you're like me, that will not be relaxing yes. until the Braves get that dub. We've got a lot to get to. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, joins us next. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. We almost didn't make it. So a bit, uh, before we get to John Shipley, I just have to throw this out there because people were like, hey, you guys were – a little late coming back. Yes, I was uh, I was standing right around the corner from the board, and Ben said, hey, we're almost back. Well, I'm relaxing. It's National Relaxation Day. It is. I'm relaxing with no shoes. 
I cut the corner a little sharp, feet slid on the carpet, and we took a little we took a little dive. So and the, the embarrassment it, and Ben laughing at me. No, you made it. No, what, no, bottom, no, no line, <laughs> bottom line, you made it. No, no, no. Well, no, I made it now. Like I'm at the age where I'll wake up tomorrow and go, why does all this hurt? <laughs> I'll, wake, I'll wake up at 2 a.m. going, why does my arm hurt? Oh, that's right. You fell down. Slid on the carpet like I was on ice. Just, just cut it a little tight. Didn't have that extra grip going, Ben. That's neither here nor there. Well, how do we transition from that to Jags? I don't know. But John Shipley joins us here. Uh, Jaguar Report on 3 and Out. John, welcome. How are you? Hey, doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, obviously, it's preseason game number two. Uh, we got to see some of the supposed starters uh, for Jacksonville a little bit more than, than preseason game number one. How do you evaluate this team when – the guys that counted, I guess, uh, not to be disparate, the guys that mattered uh, for down the road were out there. Yeah, I think you go out there and you see the offense score in the first three drives, one touchdown, two field goals. Uh, I think that's what you want to see, especially the ability to you know drive down the field and then the ability at the end of the game to convert in the red zone and on fourth down to you know score it from the nine yard line. I think you definitely saw some flashes from the offense, some things you know to like, uh, big playability, play action. Zay Jones had a nice double move and 32-yard catch on, you know, their first play for scrimmage. And then defensively, I think, you know, they, they, have, they had to be thrilled. They weren't playing against all of Cleveland's, you know, starters. Nick Chubb was out. Uh, Joe Batonio, the, the, you know, all-pro left guard, he was out. Amari Cooper was out. But against who the Browns did have out there, and there were some starters, you know, Deshaun Watson, Jedrick Wills, against who was out there. You know, the, the Jaguars' defense was fantastic. Seven total yards. Uh, they had two. Uh, really essentially three and out if you don't count the penalties by the offense. And then a forced fumble that they recovered. So, uh, obviously, it's a small sample size. You know, it's less than ten plays for the defense. And for the offense, it's, you know, less than really a quarter of play. But it's still a sample size, you know, they have to be encouraged with. Travis E.T. and all eyes was on him. Um, you know, it's been a, you know, uh, you know uh, entire rookie season uh, was lost. And, I, obviously, early reports in camp has been he's looked fast, he's looked electric, he's looked explosive, and you know uh, even though it was a sample size for him, he looked really, really good running in between the tackles, finally getting hit by his other team. John, what I mean, what are your early impressions of what you saw from a guy in Travis Eaton, and how do you see him fitting into an already very young but got a chance to be very dangerous offense? Yeah, no, he definitely showed some of the explosiveness and you know really some of the fun traits that he had at Clemson that made him such an interesting player in that draft class. And, such an exciting player for the Jaguars this offseason and in training camp. I mean, you know, he had one 12-yard run on a zone play. That was an RPO look where he went right off the right guard, you know, right shoulder, and he was able to lower his shoulder at a linebacker in the gap and break the tackle and get, you know, a 12-yard run. On, on the flip side, you know, that was by far his best run of the night. I think other than that, he had eight runs for about 11 yards. There were a couple runs where, you know, he showed – a uh, really good explosion on obviously, you know, ability to kind of take on tacklers. But there were also a few times where, you know, even Doug Peterson said after the game where he was maybe a bit uh, antsy and decided to bounce outside too early. You know, there were a few times he spinned his back away from the line of scrimmage. So there were just a few runs there where you could see the obvious rust. But, I mean, there are also plays where as a pass catcher he stood out too. He had one play uh, where there's a one-on-one matchup with him on, in the linebacker on a flare out and third down. He caught the ball well before the first down marker, but just his sheer athleticism, he was able to glide really easily past the linebacker for the first down gain. So there were some good and there were some bad, but you definitely saw the traits have people excited. You know it just is going to come with time. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, joining us here on 3 and Out. And 
Uh, Zay Jones, one big catch. A lot of people saying that maybe that could be the big favorite target of, of Trevor Lawrence. Do you see that relationship shaping up that way? And when we talk about the offense, a lot of it's can you block in the run game? Can you give Trevor Lawrence time? Does it appear that there are some weapons out there for Trevor Lawrence to deal with here? And is he kind of honing in on who some of his favorites are here? If you had asked me after the first two weeks of training camp, you know, and say Jones is going to be that guy in the offense, I would have said no. But, I mean, over the last week and a half or so, you know, training camp and game included, he's become one of Lawrence's favorite targets. I don't. There wasn't anybody who was targeted more when Lawrence was in the game. You know, four of Lawrence's 12 passes went to Zay Jones. Uh, one of those was a high pass, and one of those was a non-call defensive pass interference. So, overall, you know, he, his four targets, four targets, he was able to all turn positive plays on his end. You know, he's somebody, he's shown the ability to get open at each level of the field, uh, really good hands, good routes, and it's clear to him and Lawrence have some chemistry that's really clicking. I think that was important to see, especially with Christian Kirk and LaVisca Chenault both not playing on Friday. It was important to see, you know, which other receiver could really step up and be there for him to go to in critical situations. So I definitely think he is a guy to watch uh, in this offense just because him and Lawrence, their chemistry really seems to be clicking right now. Trevon Walker, I mean, uh, tr- you know, trying to build off what he did from uh, from the Hall of Fame game. Obviously, all eyes going to be on him being the number one overall pick. I'm, and I know that Josh Allen has taken him under his wing. I saw something that Trevon Walker was working with, like guys like Robert Mathis or whatever in the offseason. He's going to have he's gonna have a big target on his back. But how much can he learn from a guy in Josh Allen who has been about as good as you can be since he's been drafted? I, I think there's a ton he can learn from him. I remember when I was covering Josh Allen's rookie season, you know, he, he followed Calais Campbell really everywhere around, you know, whether it was in the practice, uh, in the locker room, on Sundays. I remember the then-defense coordinator, Todd Walsh, said that, you know, Josh Allen hung around Calais Campbell like, you know, a puppy does with an older dog. And, you know, that's really how it was. And Josh Allen, you know, said then how much Calais, you know, was an impact on him. And I see the same kind of relationship from Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. I think, uh, you know, Josh Allen has matured, you know, going into his fourth year as a leader where he can be that kind of player for another young player. You know, he's still obviously a young player in his own right, but he's seen a lot at the NFL level. You know, he's been through a lot as a Jack or as one of those four pieces. So I've absolutely seen those two, you know, really hit it off. And whether it's at practice or at the facility, if you see Josh Allen, you see Trayvon Walker. And it was good on Friday night to see them take the field against an opposing offense for the first time together. Because, I mean, they, they had a few – they had one rush where – Trayvon Walker drew a holding flag from Ginger Quills where, you know, Josh Allen also beat his guy. So just seeing them have that combination of pass rushers coming off the edge, I think it's going to be an exciting duo. And I think Allen obviously has a lot he can teach his teammates. Do you feel like uh, this is going to be a defense that can be upper half? I don't know. Maybe they have a higher ceiling than that. But is this a defense at the end of the year we might be talking about as an upper half uh, defense for Jacksonville? I I think there's definitely going to be, you know, some maybe rough patches at first just because they're transitioning to a whole new defensive scheme. You know, they ran a 3-4 last year, but they didn't run the kind of scheme they're running this year by any means. And then you're relying on a lot of new faces, you know, guys who haven't played together before. Obviously, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd's another one, uh, Fosade, Oluokun, Foley Fadakasi, Darius Williams. So it's a lot of new faces, but I do think there's a lot of talent. You know, that they, they added really upgrades all at every position, you know, really – stop on the defense you know they got better outside linebacker they got better on the line they got better inside linebacker they got better at quarterback with the addition of Williams you know outside of safety there, there isn't any position the Jaguars didn't invest in this offseason so I think you expect to see the defense take a natural jump you know just because of that that sheer investment and 
seeing the kinds of players they brought in. So I, I think they could definitely get up to that, you know, that upper half potentially in defense. But I do think it could also take a little while. You know, John, what a difference <clears throat> excuse me, a year makes. I mean, Doug Peterson – to me, he was the biggest. He was the biggest addition they've added in the offseason, and regardless of regardless of you know the Evan Ingrams and the Zay Jones and the Christian Kirks, because you want to have a stable working environment. Let's face it. This time last year, these guys, especially those young guys, they don't know what to expect. I mean, James Robinson has to get has to get guys like Trevor Lawrence so he can get out there on the field. I mean, you got kickers literally getting kicked by you know Urban Meyer and Chris Dahl and Tim Tebow. How has how has the entire you know organization looked with a guy like Doug Peterson, who obviously has a Super Bowl, but understand what it takes to take a young quarterback in a team that's never won a Super Bowl or, that, or those type of postseason aspirations, what is it like having having a guy like that around? Yeah, no, I think Peterson's definitely already put his stamp on the Jaguars. You know, he's already shown that, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the face of the franchise as the quarterback and all that, but this is Doug Peterson's the tone for the culture. He's setting an example for players, which is something I think, you know, last year they didn't have a coach who could set the example for them consistently of, you know, this is what you need to do to get the job done. This is how you need to really act on and off the field. So I think he's obviously doing that. You know, from everything I've seen at Jaguars training camp this year and from everybody I've talked to, just comparing it to the same time last year, the same training camp I saw under Urban Meyer and the same attitudes, you know, and the same comments I was getting during the Urban Meyer training camp, yeah, it seems like the environment's done a 180. You know, that that obviously you need to see that translate to win the point. But it definitely does seem like a place where, you know, not not even just the players and coaches, but, you know, the staff members, you know, the operations people, they're happier to be out there. You know, it's just a better overall environment. It's healthier. And that's something I think I've seen right away. John Shipley, JaguarReport.com, our guest here on – or Jaguar Report, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. John, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, John Shipley, Jaguar Report on uh, SI. Joining us here on three and out Jags fall to the Browns, but have some signs of life there offensively and defensively looking to take that, uh, that big step forward. We'll come back. We'll talk some dogs football, chip towers, AJC. Uh, will join us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern pigskin radio network. Good to have you back here. It is three and out Kevin and Ben countdown to college football is on. We'll have college football a week from Saturday with that week zero, but uh, everybody else is going to have to wait another week. Uh, to get us back around to uh, what Labor Day weekend, you get Georgia and Oregon. There's certainly a lot of dog fans. The countdown is on for that title defense. Uh, Oregon, Dan Lanning coming back uh, to play the dogs there in game one. Joining us here from the AJC, Chip Towers joins us here on Three and Out. Chip, welcome. How are you? Hey, fantastic. Really good. How are you guys doing? Hey, appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, obviously the countdown is on here for Georgia and Oregon. Uh, what has stood out uh, there in, in spring practice thus far as uh, the, the wide receivers? You know you have a lot of tight ends. Who are the guys outside the numbers you think are going to get that initial shot uh, to, to be the go-to guys outside? Well, you know, that's that's not really a whole bunch of a mystery. I guess the key is you know, really like it is with all the positions, it's just staying healthy out there. Uh, but – you know, and and that Georgia hasn't been able to do that so far. They got a little bit of a blow last week when they found out that they would be without Arian Smith uh, for a while. And and my understanding is it might be a good while. He had a uh, high ankle sprain that required surgery, and uh, that sidelines him. And but you know, otherwise, 
pretty clear who's going to be taking most of those reps. I mean, you know, uh, A.D. Mitchell and Lab McConkey uh, were the primary receivers last year. Kiaris Jackson uh, is back for another year uh, as a senior flanker. And, and you know, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sanks, and a bunch of young guys. That's, you know, that's not necessarily a position of strength, but I don't necessarily think it's a position that's going to hold Georgia back offensively, especially when you, you know, turn to one side and take a look at that tight end room. And you realize several of those guys in that tight end room, uh, like, you know, Brock Bowers, Arik Gilbert, Oscar Delp, uh, you know, can pretty much, you know, flex out and play a, you know, an X or a Y or a Z or whatever you're looking for. So I think, I think at least of Georgia's problems. Now, defense is another story, and uh, Kirby Smart wasn't very happy about that after this, uh, the first scrimmage of the spring this past Saturday. They'll have one more scrimmage, and I think they got about 15 more practices left. It worked out before Oregon comes into Atlanta. And she'll be and she'll be even sticking with the defense. Obviously, early reports are you know the offense kind of had their way with the defense. I mean, and that's just a staple at Georgia, especially with a guy like Kirby Smart being the head coach. Is that to be expected though? I mean, you you replacing a lot of guys. You know, 15 guys drafted in, in, in the recent NFL draft, five of those guys in the first round coming from that defense. I mean, you don't find guys like Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean. You don't find those guys just walking around every day. How long do they expect that defense to kind of have some growing pains and kind of going to be carried by the offense for a little while? Well, it, it, it's going to take a minute. Now, you know, Todd Munkin took offense last week when we uh, got a chance to interview him. Uh, and one of the questions he got was that, you know, do you feel like the offense has to carry the defense? Um, you know, when you look at it, 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 it is pretty crazy to think about that Georgia's defense necessarily carried Georgia's offense last year. That really, was, Georgia's defense was great, generational, but they didn't really offense. Georgia's offense stood up on its own. You know, I, I think that's a little bit different this year. You're right. I mean, you know, when you have – five first-round defensive players, eight defensive players overall drafted. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just foolhardy to think that the, that you're going to have eight guys step in and, and be just as good right away. And where Georgia was kind of exposed in the first scrimmage, uh, yeah, you, you know, your offense is is kind of veteran-laden, starting with, a, you know, six-year senior quarterback in, in Stetson Bennett. Uh, but that interior defense is going – has a lot of ground to cover. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and, and Trayvon Walker up front, linebacker N'Kobe Dean. But the, as a group, you know, you talk about the front seven, but really those interior five is where Georgia's got to make up a lot of ground. And look, uh, Georgia's, you know, a two-touchdown-plus favorite against Oregon for a reason. That's not a great matchup for them. I mean, Oregon – uh, if you were to talk about their best, their biggest strength as a team is probably on the offensive line. They got a pretty good group up there. You know, Mario, uh, Mario Cristobal, who was coach there before, was an O line coach by trade. He brought some good guys in there to Oregon. They also got some transfers in addition to a lot of returnees. They're going to be strong up front, and uh, these guys are going to have to grow up in a hurry, particularly on the inside. I'd kind of follow up on that, uh, Chip. What kind of challenges does Oregon face obviously people talk about the Dan Lanning uh connection there but and obviously this game's going to be in Atlanta but this is a, an Oregon team that last year went to Columbus 
and got a big win over Ohio State. Uh, not afraid to go on the road and play in a in, in a big venue. What kind of challenges do you think Georgia faces? Where a lot of people say a lot of the the positives are going in Georgia's favor here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I think it's a big deal that Georgia's playing in Atlanta. I mean, you know, and I, I went out there to Eugene last week actually and got a chance to visit with Dan Lanning and really my first time in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, uh, you know, what a beautiful area of the country. What a beautiful campus. And then you certainly see the influence of Phil Knight Nike there. So they've got everything you could possibly want to play with uh, out there at Oregon. You know, that said, you know, traveling 3,000 miles across the country, and I don't care how good your following is, and I think they sold out of the 7,000 or so tickets that they get at Oregon, but that's going to be a facto home game for Georgia. So I certainly give the intangibles to them. But, uh, you know, uh, the other factor a lot of people talk about is, is you know, obviously Dan Landing knowing Georgia. Uh, but, you know, even he said when I was out there, that's pretty much negligible, you know, from the standpoint of he knows Georgia and Georgia's personnel and tendencies, but they know his too. Uh, now, they might know less about him, so, you know, from the standpoint he hadn't been a head coach he hasn't run a program before, but listen, I, I do think it's just a matter of time uh, before Dan Landing has that program at the absolute precipice of college football because everything is at his disposal. He's going to take the uh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban template out there and apply it to the Ducks, and I, I think his energy as a young guy, 36-year-old coach, the fact that he can make that defense a whole lot better really fast He's going to have them in the in the playoff hunt, I think, pretty quick. Chip, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, Stetson Bennett. I mean, six years senior, a guy that no matter what he does, seemingly, I mean, yeah, he he he's he has a love hate, you know, relationship when it comes to the fan base there because yeah, he's he's not your prototypical size, but he's been dealing with five star quarterbacks since he left high school. Whether no matter what. Uh, Quarterback room he's in. He's been the he's been the third guy. He's been the third guy. Now he's the first guy. He's still dealing with you know the Vandergrifts of the world and the you know Carson Becks of the world. Why can't people just get past the fact that listen? If I wasn't the best quarterback, even if I am coming off a national championship, I would have gotten beaten out by now. But I am the best quarterback for this team, even if there is incredible talent behind him. Yeah. Uh... You know, it, it, it is amazing. It is a bit of a phenomenon, I would say, overall. Um, you know, just the whole Stetson Bennett uh, deal, you know. And, and it's interesting watching the national narratives because, you know, obviously he did what he did last year, you know, in the Orange Bowl and in the national championship game. I, I don't know what more you can do than be named the offensive MVP of the biggest games of the entire year um but really when you sit down and study it in stetson's numbers were just are were impeccable i mean really truly impeccable and there's really none of the narrative really stands up other than maybe you know he doesn't pass the eye test five foot ten or eleven or whatever he is but i mean if you look he's the same size as bryce young and uh when you when you start to quantify explosivity points uh, passing efficiency, uh, yards per pass, yards per attempt, per completion, yards per drive, force per drive. He's in the top five nationally in, in every all of that. So certainly that has a lot to do with the players around him. But 
you, you can't forget either that Georgia had some offensive issues or challenges to overcome. Basically, the starting quarterback goes out. You're starting uh, right. Hurd goes out in the first game and Tate Ratledge. You didn't have George Pickens all year. Jermaine Burton was beat up for a lot of the year. Uh, you still managed to do what you did. And uh, I think the relationship of Stetson Bennett and Todd Munkin is going to have a lot to say about how things do this season because Munkin, you know, we got a chance to talk to him on Thursday, and he's the first to admit that maybe he didn't really know what they had in Stetson Bennett until they got him in there. Once you get it in there, you realize what he does well, what how he competes, how he runs the RPO in particular. Start to and and then Georgia's developing tight end core as it was last year. You kind of like, oh, there's some pretty good things we can do with this group. They're gonna they they've had a whole to build on that now. So I think uh, Georgia and and Stetson Bennett are going to be a pretty difficult offense to. To defend overall. Chip Towers, AJC, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Chip, just from a, a storytelling standpoint, when you follow a guy like Stetson Bennett, uh, what what has that been like for you to follow that from a journalistic standpoint? Because he just did something at Georgia that, you know, Eric Zier, David Green, Quincy Carter, I mean, Aaron Murray, you, DJ Shockley, you name them all off uh, here in the last 40 years, hadn't been able to do, and it's Stetson Bennett. Then people say, you should just ride out on top. He said, no, I'm not done. I want to come back and play. How much more of the Stetson Bennett story uh, do you see forthcoming and just how unique of a story is it that at a, a program like Georgia, it was kind of the most unlikely guy, if you will, that actually brought him through to the promised land? Yeah, the, the biggest surprise for me really was he didn't win that, you know, walk-on of the year award. I can't remember what it's called. Some Arkansas kid won it, I think. Uh, you know, certainly he'll be up for that again this year. I, I don't know whether he'll get into the Heisman at all. It obviously depends on how Georgia does and he does. But, yeah, I love the Stetson Bennett story. Uh, you know, I've gotten to know father over the years. Uh, they have a fascinating family story. I mean, it goes beyond, you know, he loves Georgia and walked on at Georgia these expectations. I mean, it goes all the way back. Uh, I give credit to a by the name of John DuPont, who's from down in that area, I think actually teaches it. He told me uh, when when Bennett committed to be a preferred walk-on to Georgia, he said, look out for this kid. He comes from a great athletic family, a really special guy. And that's certainly been borne out here. And, uh, you know, the final chapter has yet to be written. You know, hopefully – I can write a book on this kid uh, someday, but you know, there'll probably be a lot of people fine to do that, depending on how it comes out. But he is a polarizing figure. We, you know, we we live in an age that he's in love with the five star. They all want the six foot five hand and arm. Uh, but the reality is, it's just about winning. It's just about advancing the football and scoring points. And you know, Stetson Bennett's proven he's as good at that as anybody who's come through here. Chip Towers, AJC, uh, joining us here on a Three and Out. Chip, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Glad to do it and uh, talk to you next time. Will do. Chip Towers joining us here on Three and Out Georgia off their most recent scrimmage. Obviously now with two weeks or so to go until they get ready for Oregon right around the corner. This is Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you back here, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. A lot more to come. Final hour, we're here from Ben Ingram talking Falcons football and Braves and Mets upcoming. A big four-game series over the next four days. Got to put up or shut up if you are the Atlanta Braves. We're coming right back. Ben Ingram joins us next here on three and out. We'll get back to the Braves and Mets coming up here in just a uh, little bit as the first of four games coming up later tonight. But Ben, the Falcons uh, last week, preseason, beat the Lions for whatever that's worth. I know we try not to read too much into that, but what are your takeaways? Uh, Obviously, people want to see what Mariota and Ritter did. I thought they did an all right job. Uh, I think for both of those guys, Mariota 2 for 2, Ritter 10 of 22 over 100 yards, uh, a couple of touchdowns. I think combined they were your leading rusher, so that's not good <laughs> if you're Atlanta. It's like, hey, we were last remember last year and we couldn't run the football. Well, apparently that hasn't changed much even in the preseason. Uh Mariota and Ritter combined for what, eighty two yards. Uh that would have been well, Ritter was the leading rusher, but they together rushed for more than anybody else uh on the roster. And so the running offense not much better than it was, other than you got a couple of guys that can at least run where Matt Ryan Obviously not going to do that. Yeah, I was very impressed with the quarterbacks. I mean, I think uh, Marcus Mariota and, like you said, and Ritter both went out there and put on, showed everything they can do. When you talk about, I mean, a Ritter, I think I think he tucked the ball and ran a little bit more than I wanted to. I think sometimes you got to wait on plays uh, to develop. And I know that the offensive line is in the lead, and he's not dealing with the best offensive line they had. He's dealing with guys, once again, that are French guys. Guys is probably going to make teams on other, make rosters on other teams, but Kevin, I was still very impressed. I mean, Ritter came into the they put you they put you in situations to where you can go out there, you know, and try to win the game. And he did go out there and win the game. And uh, you know, on the road in a team of Detroit that's always scratching and clawing for you know, I mean, respectability on hard knocks. Dan Campbell's doing all he can with the Detroit Lions right now. Jerry Goff and company. But I was very impressed with the way uh, Marcus Mariota as well as Damon Ritter took control of the offense. As you mentioned, the run game outside of those guys, it, it had it had moments. But not enough. I mean, because you know this run game is going to have to be counted on, you know, a little bit more because teams, I mean, if they're smart, they're going to find a way to take away Kyle Pitts. They're going to force, uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they're going to force uh, London to go out there and uh, be a number one. You know, how are they going to use Cordell Patterson? You know, you talk about whenever Brian Edwards does get healthy, he's probably going to be the other number one receiver with Alden Tate, uh, you know, uh, trying to get some uh, quality snaps. Well, what I was disappointed in is the defense. The thing about it is if you are a defender – you know, uh, for for the for the Atlanta Falcons, you know, look outside of AJ Terrell, you know, outside, you know, outside, of, you know, uh, you know, uh, Garrett and company. I mean, it's not, it's not gonna. I mean, you know, uh, it's not. I mean, Jared, it's not gonna be. It's it's gonna it's gonna get ugly before it doesn't, Kevin, because you even said it. Okay, the starters was in there, right? We know we know that the, the, the starters in there with the defense, hot knife through slice butter, went straight down to fill and score. Now, <laughs> yeah. is, is is that would that have been the whole game? No, but they're only gonna get limited snaps. Right, Ebigite is going to be a starter on the other side of Lorenzo Carter. Right, we don't know what they're going to. Deion Jones is obviously going to make the team. He's not out there right now. We can't keep talking about AJ Terrell and Grady Jerry. It's going to have to be, you know. I mean, you know, we talk about Grant. This is your second year. You, you're going to have to make strides in the secondary yeah. because if you look at this division. I mean, you talk about sure. you talk about a guy like Michael Thomas. Talk about Alvin Kamara. Then they gave, they got in Chris Olave. Oh, and by the way, they got Jarvis Landry. That's they're, they're the Saints. Then he got Mike Evans and Godwin. Oh, and there's a bum by the name of, I don't know, Julio Jones who plays for Tampa now. So what I'm looking at is how do they play against the current t- competition and how do they stack up against who they're going to see? And I get it. It's one game. 
I don't want to get too high and too low about it. But Kevin, if you once again, let's take our analyst hat off. Take our journalist hat off. Take our, you know, our coverage hat off. We're just looking casual fan, Falcons sure. fan. That first drive, you like. Ugh. Well, no, I mean, especially after Dean Pease goes out there and uh, Dean Pease like, we can be an elite defense. We can be a great defense. We got to get there. And as you said, the first, the first test you get, best on best for whatever you got. I mean, for preseason, ten plays. Right down the field. So a 10-play drive tells me you did not get after the quarterback. Nope. You did not get off the field on third down. Nope. And you did not perform very well in the run game. All the things that were question marks from a year ago. Now, it is preseason. I get it. But there's still question marks. And I didn't see any. And again, Ben, if it was a six-play drive and you get off the field, okay, hey, they got some yards. We were able to ultimately get a stop and get off the field. But I said it was a double-digit play drive. Went down a field and not just got points, got a touchdown out of it. And I, I, I think that's the only thing you have to go off of. Um, again, I'm not going to try to get too high or too low. Like you know, I don't want to come out and be like, oh, Desmond Richards, man. Russell Wilson, we've just made fun of that for two weeks, people doing that. But I will say nothing seemed with the 1s-v-1s, like defensively, you, you have a lot to feel like it's going to be significantly better. Yeah, it may not be worse, Yeah, but – you look at it and say, at least when the guys who we think are going to start her out there, Detroit, let me say that again. And it also, Detroit went down the field on you in 10 plays and scored. That was the second worst team in the league last year. Yep. And, and, and it went, went, and so again, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it means, hey, this Falcons team's not going to be, no. All I'm saying is, if you're going to be DP, Dean Pease, if you're going to be Arthur Smith, you're going to say, hey, defensively, we think we can take a step forward. Where? Where'd you take a step forward? Ones v ones, they went straight. I'm saying they, they went straight down yeah. the field. And as as you've said, uh, Ben, you talk about some of these inside the stats. That's like win rate and this. That. Where was that? Again, it's preseason, but can we, you still got to win a little bit. Yes, right? I mean everybody's got to oh, show Aiden, flash. Aiden Hutchinson making some flashes. Yes. Back. Now was he in on every tackle? No, no, but. He showed flashes of why he was the number two well, pick. Yeah, he, yeah. Trayvon Walker. Yeah. Week one. Yeah. Preseason showed a play or two of why he's the number one pick. Falcons, man, I was like, you look at it and say, okay, we're going to come out and make, you know, we're going to get irate at the media for questioning the defense and why we can't be elite. And then the very first test you have, and that's all preseasons are, is the test to show what you've been studying, i.e. working on a practice, 10 plays right down the field touchdown. And again, I think if you're a Falcons, man, you got to be encouraged by what you saw a little bit offensively and probably discouraged that, at least when it was good v. good, it was right down the field, and you, and you didn't look like a team that consistently was prepared to stop people. Now, a lot can change in two weeks. Maybe not that much, but things can change in two weeks. Start getting more guys, a few more steps, longer into the first half. But I didn't see a lot there uh, defensively. Offensively, Ben, you, as you mentioned, the running game, not good. Uh, you and I were talking about how you evaluate the running game uh, just watching it preseason. I tend to look at stuff and say, hey, what? I told you this. I take the long runs out. Not all of them, but the longest run. Because to me, the longest runs are the outlier to what you really did. We talked about it with Jacksonville. Travis Etienne. You look at it. The numbers weren't great. He had a 12-yard run, was his long. And if you take the long out, he had eight carries for 11 yards. So that's obviously pretty terrible. Your two quarterbacks combined would have been the leading rusher on the team by far, Ritter was the leading rusher. That can't continue. 
I didn't see anything from the run game that, uh, again, I saw some flashes. Algier looked decent. Allison, okay, mm-hmm. at times. But I didn't see anything that looked like a bona fide, give it to me back. Uh, that's, I mean, and again, Cordero Patterson, you talk more about getting him the ball in space than you do being the yeah. uh, legit running back. Yeah. So I have concerns about the running game, the passing game. Drake London, one catch, 24 yards, crossing route over the middle, looked all right. I mean, yeah. as you said, we didn't see a go route, but the one catch he had, over the middle, got a little bit of room and was able to make something happen. So, there to me, is some positive signs about the offense. The running game still looks like it's got a long way to go. Yeah, and and, and it and hasn't that isn't that isn't that just like uh like the you know when you think about the staple of of this Falcons team, right? You know they're gonna beat you through the air. They would, you know, the last time the Falcons had a, a steady running game, one had Michael Vick work done and T.J. Ducky. The other one had you know uh you know uh you know uh we, we, Michael Burner Turner. Now, Kevin, is like you said, it's just evaluating football. Each running back, how is the offensive, is the offensive line getting the push? Are these guys leaning forward? Are they getting first downs? Are they, are they extending drives? Because no matter what, I mean, I'm sorry, until proven otherwise, no one's afraid of Marcus Mariota or, or Desmond Ritter beating them through the air, even if you got Kyle Pitts, even if you got Drake London, even if you got Brian Edwards, even if you got Cordell Patterson, and all the take. Because you can't throw the ball every play. Like, just like we talk about complimentary defense, a complimentary defense is this. I want to be able to get off the field on third down like that because that, that, that stalls drives where the offense wants to, you know, uh, get first downs to extend drives. If you talk about a complimentary offense, complimentary offense, complimentary running game, complimentary means we don't got to be the best running game. We just can't be down at the bottom. Like, oh, where y'all at? Oh, it's 32 teams. We 29. Well, that's at the bottom. Like, that's that's at the bottom. That means that you can't you can't extend drives. You can't if it's if it's four minutes left in the game. Can we ice? Can we get two first downs to ice the game? Cordell Patterson. Once I don't again, think so right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, once again, Cordell Patterson. Right. He's on. He's finally made the top 100. The big thing now in the NFL is the top 100. People talk about about how dynamic of a player he is. Yeah. Well, he was on the Falcons last year. Yeah. So he's good enough to go out there and make plays, as you mentioned, with the ball in his hand. But teams, the jury is out on you now. Like, we saw you last year. I don't know if Arthur Smith got a full, another full playbook uh, of everything, uh, of things they haven't shown from you yet, but I just think that by having two dual-threat quarterbacks, it definitely helps you. you. got two guys that can utilize their feet if the pocket breaks down. I think Desmond Ritter, the pocket wasn't breaking down. He just think, oh, he got a clock in his head. One, two, three, he takes off. But sometimes, hey, man, taking off is good, sliding, throwing the ball away. Because you are here for 17 games. Meaning, what do you mean? I'm the backup. Yep, but we need you healthy for 17 too. Just like you need Marcus Mariota healthy for 17. Because, you know, it ain't a lot after you guys. I mean, Josh Rosen is on team number five. I think he's been in the league five years. So I think that, yes, Kevin, you saw some flashes. I just think for a defense that doesn't have an identity. They didn't create one the other night. You didn't didn't walk away saying, oh, because no one stood out. Nobody. I mean, I seen AJ Terrell, you know, hit DeAndre Swift. The problem is, it's a touchdown when he hit him. It hit him in the end zone. So I think that until proven otherwise, teams are going to run the ball at Atlanta. Why would we think y'all can stop it? I got a bunch of new guys. With some of those being rookies, the only staple you got on D line is Grady Jarrett. Well, he's been there a long time. The best player you got is AJ Terrell. Well, he's on the outside. Deion Jones, he's there. But he's there because no one else wanted to pick up that contract. You got a bunch of guys that have talent and potential. I think that for the Falcons, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. D coordinator they got to come back to the th- – I said, listen, uh, I'm going to stop going viral, make, talking about what we could be, <laughs> and just focus on what we are. Because guess what? All 32 teams got potential to be better than they were. But until proven otherwise, what, the, what, the, what that iron in the sky says we are, that's what we are. And guess what? 
We're going to see it on hard knocks. So the, play, the first play from scrimmage when, you know, Aiden Hudgens swam and got the tackle. As you mentioned, you didn't hear, from, hear much from him again. And I guarantee you, in the meeting room, the coordinator for the Lions said, boy, you better be lucky you made that play. Why? Because when you swam to the outside and they run to the, swim to the inside, they run to the outside, you better be lucky you was good enough to make that tackle because there's no one there. If that running back would have got around you, there's nobody out there. So I do think it's a lot of teaching moments, but it is the first preseason game. You don't want to get too crazy. No, Kevin, I don't but, think but, I'm being too but, crazy no, 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 to say no, no, I I'm just not wanted, you I wanted to no, see the first team no, defense I'm not, make I'm a not, few I'm not, plays. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying what happens is good versus good, it didn't look good for the first team defense. Like right. Jared Goff and them straight down the field, like straight down. It. And then this is the thing, too. Look at the body language of the D-line. Look at the body language of the defense. They're looking around saying, hey, man, what? Well, hey, we got a bunch of key contributors over here. Guess what? To be a key contributor, you must contribute first. You got to go out there and do your job. You got to win your individual battle. You got to stay in your gap. You got to cover. You got, you know, you got to get off blocks. You got to make tackles. And you got to get off the field on third down. The things, football one-on-one is what the Falcons do the worst at. That's <laughs> true. And, and, that's, and that's the thing. You can't even talk about exotic schemes. We can't get off the field. What do you mean? Run, listen, listen, hey, man, they need three up. First down. Now we start all over again. So, I think for the Falcons, they're going to have to take a strong, hard look in the mirror because Grady Jarrett, they paying you for your services. But, sir, sometimes they paying you for your commitment to a bad defense and a bad squad. We'll see what happened in, the, in preseason game number two. I mean, but here's the thing. I, you, you played the Lions, who were bad. Preseason game number two is a week from today against the Jets. Like, you aren't going up against perceived teams that are just potentially better than you, right? I mean, these are teams that were picking in the top five uh, last year. I I was a little discouraged uh, about the fact that you should. And again, I'm not. I'm not. Like I said, we make fun of guys who like overreact to everything. I don't think I'm overreacting. Oh no, 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 I just want to see a few plays. Of course, get off the field. No, no, you want to see like this is football. This is this is football. The best players are the most consistent. The best players are the most consistent. Meaning, if you gave Travis Kelsey twelve throws, he caught ten of them. So they threw it at him twelve times, but he caught ten. What did he do with the ten? Oh man. You know, 100-some yards, two touchdowns, yeah. right? So he's giving you the stats that matter. So he, the problem is – And, again, I don't care if they won or lost. Exactly. It's, pre, it's exactly. preseason. Yeah. But when, when you had a chance to at least kind of settle in and show something, as you said, it was knife through butter. Touchdown. So it's like – That, to me, was discouraging from a defensive standpoint that you really didn't see anybody – You didn't see – You didn't show a flash You didn't see something. When you go watch – They're watching the tape. You know, they're watching the tape today – because you because the, uh, the day after any game after any game you uh, you get a day off the next day, it, definitely the preseason when when they go in and watching the tape right. So when I when I'm watching the tape now I'm watching what I was doing and the defense as a whole. So when the coach saying, do remember when I told you or didn't I tell you or <laughs> what did we talk about last week? And it's like they're gonna start saying you act like I'm just telling you this. Whose gap is that? Where are you supposed to be at? Where are your feet at? Down distance, you know alignment, assignment, all, all the things you've been hearing, you know one on one. If a guy missed a throw in baseball, Kevin, you can say, well, see that waste, that little bit of wasted motion right there, all that, the runner going to beat it out. Like, look, it'd be the smallest. But the thing is this, people are like, hey, coach, what's wrong with the defense? If we can't do the little, we, we, we can't do the small things. So that makes our defense, that makes our defensive playbook even more vanilla because the, the less we can do, the less we can give them to do. The more we can do, and now we start talking about exotic stuff. We can't even have fun and we can't do the mundane. Like you say, Kevin, it is one drive, but if I watch one drive and turn the TV off, I'm thinking, well, I've seen enough. What? I saw that in 2021. 
And it was a bunch of different faces out there. So now their last name is Carter, right? Uh-huh. Instead, of, instead of Dante Fowler. Got it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so that's Ebigite. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Now these guys, rookies can't play like rookies, right? Every receiver coming to the league, they expect them to be Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase now, <laughs> right? Right? And they're expecting the quarterbacks to be, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson. We'll see. Again, a lot of work to do. We'll see what they do next Monday night. They got a whole week to get it together, see where they can show us something uh, defensively there uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Huge series starts tonight. Braves and Mets. We're talking about it next year on three and out. Put up or shut up time for the Braves here tonight. Been huge. Next four days, four games with the Mets head to head. You're five and a half games out. You're plus six in the wild card standings, which means you're six games up. You're actually six games up in first place in the wild card standings. So you got uh, somebody, if you read those standings, uh, how they shape up, the Braves have a huge lead uh, in the wild card right now, but huge, biggest series of the year. Spencer Strider gets things started tonight uh, for the Braves against Carlos Carrasco, who's got 13 wins uh, on the year, Ben. So, Huge tonight for this Braves team to try to make a statement. Everybody, it's all you heard. It's all you heard at the end of that Mets series where the Braves lost four out of five, and all the talk was statement made by the Mets. Absolutely was. There's no denying that. Uh, the Mets showed who they were, and now I think it's the Braves' turn to respond to that. Right? And you've talked about that from time to time in just sports. It's about the ups and downs getting hit in the mouth, and how you respond. Good teams usually respond well. When something bad happens, bad teams don't respond well when something bad happens. And I think we're going to find out a little bit about this Braves team. Obviously, defending World Series champs. Seems like they're having a good time with Boston, having a good time with the the Marlins. Well, this is a whole nother level. Boston's in the last place. Marlins are not going anywhere. Uh, they've really been struggling lately. This is playoff baseball once again. In August, to kind of show where you stand. I, if, if you lose three out of four, you, you might as well just play for that number one wild card spot and be done with it. Because, it, I, I, again, if you think the Braves are going to come back from seven, eight games, not once, but twice, like that just doesn't, that, that would be the most unbelievable uh, roller coaster ride of a season, Ben, if that happens. You can't afford to get down seven, eight games. And expect that, oh, in, in October we're going to have a run and, and, and get back in this thing. The Mets are just playing too consistently well for you to be able to do that. Yes, and I think if anything, Kevin, the Mets are showing the Braves why y'all are the defending World Series champs. I mean, this is this is the current year. Like, we respect what y'all have done. I saw, you know, I saw a video of, uh, you know, uh, Michael Harris and uh, uh, him and Ron Lacuna out there, when they, you know, when they were in Queens and putting their fingers, putting their ring fingers up. And the fans are like, okay, what about now? Update your resume. Like, the best teams will stay the best teams because it's about it's Kevin. You know, look, as great as Peyton Manning was, they judged him when he went up against Tom Brady. Oh, we know you good. Can you beat him? Well, uh, and people and people said it wasn't a rivalry until he started beating. Because at one point, that wasn't no games. Man, New England was beating the hell out of the Colts, and then he finally got over the hump. Right when, the, when you come to the Braves, it's saying, "Hey, man, we the best team in the division every year, and we win and and we win the World Series." That's what we did last year. It used to be, hey, man, we used to looking at the Dodgers. We used to not even worry about the Mets. The Mets used to be worrying about us. But while we was getting better, so were the Mets. So I think the Braves got to go out there and say, hey, man, we have fun when we're winning. We kick in and having fun and say when we're winning. Well, the Mets, we ain't had much to smile about. I mean, it's been dominant. Like, it's, it's one thing if the Braves are 
You know, make it. No, the Bra the Minnesota just dominated the Braves. I'm saying even the game they won, they almost yes. blew that lead. I mean, you are, I mean, most teams, you up eight to zero. I mean, eight nine to zero. It's a wrap. You look up. What the Braves won? You know, nine to six. So they was making a cut. They let the Braves know no lead is safe when we playing y'all. So I think for the Braves, Kevin, like you said, getting a bunch of pitches back, you know, got young guys playing well. For the Strider pitching well, Grisham was playing well, Harris is playing well. Doesn't mean anything if you can't beat them. Because what people are going to say is, oh, yeah, of course y'all can beat the Phillies. Of course y'all can beat the Nats and the Marlins. What about the Mets? Well, and that's, and that's sports. Sports is, can you beat the best teams that current year? Sorry, ain't no ACs out there. Ain't no front running this year, man. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's just not. We, you got to go out there and get it done. So, yes, Kevin, I do agree. Because this is a psyche thing, too. Sure. If I can't beat them, it's going to start messing with us. Like, dude, what's up with us this year? Big game tonight. Spencer Strider, Carlos Carrasco. Braves really could afford to get off to a good start. We'll come back, get you ready for Braves and Mets. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube. Ben Troop just said it in the break. It is beat the Mets time. Uh, coming up here just a little bit, Carlos Carrasco for the Mets, 13-4. Spencer Strider, 6-4, and four, looking for win, number 7. The stash, the quads, everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you like the stash. Christian like the quads. Christian, <laughs> lo- Christian love the quads. Christian like, oh, my God. I mean, so what, if, if Christian meets Spencer, do we ask, man, what is your workout plan? Yeah, like, what it, they stand you know? side by side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, listen, as you can see, I don't have to pull my shorts up to show off the thigh meat. <laughs> so can we just go ahead and get, <laughs> can we go ahead, can we go ahead and get the pitch? Hey, man, that, listen, you, you know Christian, got, I, start, I started the, I started the Spencer, star, Spencer Strider uh, thigh, thigh pitches. Okay, Christian, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, hey, Spencer Strider, again, rookie. How many times has the Braves been in a tough spot and it seems like a young guy comes up in a big way? Tonight, five and a half back. Try not to fall six and a half back. Yeah. And you got Spencer Strider on the mound uh, trying to get it done for you. Home debut for Vaughn Grissom uh, with the the Braves. So a chance for the home fans to see him. And again, is it going to be Michael Harris? Is it Vaughn Grissom? Is it Spencer Strider that sparks you forward here, Ben, to get a big dub? I, th- I, I think it's going to be a combination of three, Kevin. I think all three of those guys are, can play well off each other. You know, with Strider on the mound, you see with Grissom and obviously a Michael Harris right there in the lineup with each other. I think all three of these guys are just, you know, they're, they're not playing like rookies, even though they got rookies next to their name. I'm looking forward to all three of those guys going out there and get that home home crowd going. Michael Harris even said, hey, man, we was in Queens. They took care of us with their crowd. We think that Troy is going to help, help us out today with, with our crowd. Absolutely. And this Braves-Mets rivalry is so good. It is. Right? I mean, it's it like is. you think back to uh, in recent times, say maybe it hasn't been, but Chipper Jones, they're up there yelling, Larry. And, again, it goes back to that. And now Mets fans. Being what Mets fans do, you know, getting getting you know the big chest, saying it with their chest, like, hey, we're going to take this thing. So I think it's a chance for the Braves to make sense. So I said, put up a shut up. Yep. Because you either have a good series or you don't. If you don't, I'm sorry, you're not you're not coming back from eight games no, again. No. Right. That just doesn't happen twice enough, in the same season. Exactly. I mean, but if they but if they do go, Kevin, if they if they win these next four, three out of four, four out of four, what does that do to the psyche of the Mets? Right. I think that's a big way this thing plays out with a month and a half left. Uh, if you're able to win some of these games, hey, it's that we're still here. We're not going away. And I think from a Mets perspective, you'd be like, how many times we got to try to step on these guys' face to make them go away? They will not go away. And I think that's a mark of a good team. But if you're the Braves, got to win some of these games over the next couple of days. Braves coming up next.